It's The Principle with Pastor Mac, where we learn the heart of God through the mind of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am your host, Pastor Mac. Join me as we dive into the passages of Scripture and find out how principles from God's Word give us the power to overcome the problems of life. Hello everyone, Pastor Mac here, and I just want to say what what a, an honor it is to be with you again today. Um, I, I got to tell you, I am loving doing this, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am, and, and I hope it blesses you. I hope I make you think and, and uh, hopefully challenge you a little bit. I know that uh, it seems like every time I go into the Word or think about things about life or whatever, it's always a challenge, isn't it? Uh, if, uh, no day is ever boring because every day is a brand new day and, and there's always something to learn and grow and, and uh, try to improve and be better and all those kind of things. And I hope I'm part of the process for you. I really do. Um, because if not, I'm wasting my time and yours. But uh, anyway, I want to go ahead and start by encouraging you. Uh, my email is pastormack, P-A-S-T-O-R-M-A-C-K-7-1 at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or things, maybe you've got questions concerning the scripture you'd like for me to address, uh, email me and let me know what your thoughts are and, and uh, let me know how uh, what questions you may have. I'd love to discuss them with you. I also want to take the time to uh, promote my book, Freedom from the Taskmaster. Uh, if you'd like a copy, uh, this thing was a labor of love for me. And I am so proud of it. And of course, I'm like a lot of ministers. And anytime you write a book, as, as soon as you finish it, you think about all the things you should have done different or could have said or should have taken out and all that. But uh, but I'm, I'm proud of this thing and, and uh, really, really feel like it could, could bless some people and help some people. That's why I did it. So um, and there's no amount of, of ego or pride in that. Um, the things that I learned in that book blessed me or while writing the book. And uh, I want it to bless you too. Now, I want to take this time and I want to go back to the book of Genesis. Uh, I, I am finding out the older I get that, uh, you know, I've labeled it, this podcast is titled, uh, It's the Principle. I'm finding more and more that there are so many things in God's word that that I could study this and talk about it and pull principles from this book for the rest of my life and never exhaust the riches and the gems and the jewels and principles that are, that are in this book. So, you know, I, I love the challenge and, and I love that God's word can still speak to us today. It is not irrelevant. It is very relevant for today, but I want to go into something. Uh, one of the things I like to do, and I'm kind of odd for a Pentecostal preacher, I'm a little different. Um, I like to I like to challenge the way you think. I, I like I like to look at things more of an academic perspective, maybe a, um, um, or an academic uh, viewpoint, and just things that I see and notice. And that's that's how I am when I when I minister to my congregation at Spirit Walk Ministries. And um, I've got one that again, one of those things that I've never seen before. And I want to talk to you about it today and let's see what we can make of it uh, because I really think this challenged me and I hope it challenges you. So we're going to go back to Genesis. I know that's hard to believe. I've been in Genesis ever since I started, I think. 
But I want to look at a I want to look at something. Uh, we're going to go back to chapter three right quick, and then we're going to end up in chapter I think six. Um, Genesis three. This is the fall of man, right? Adam and Eve, the serpent in the garden, and the forbidden fruit, and all those kind of things. And um, you look at you go to verse seventeen. God is talking to Adam and says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. Now I'm not going to go any further. Um, cursed is the ground for your sake. And, and I have heard that my whole life. I have preached that. I was telling the church this last week that I have uh, I have now passed 30 years of ministry, uh, which one makes me feel extremely old. But two um, makes me feel extremely old. <laughs> it just is amazing. I, I have looked at that. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And I have I have looked for 30 years. I have stood behind the pulpit when I have preached on that passage of Scripture and said, okay, we live in a, a, an earth that the ground is cursed because it plainly says that in Genesis chapter 3, the ground is cursed. And I have believed that and heard that and preached that my whole life. Um, but I want to I want to challenge that thought. I want to challenge that thought and and maybe replace it with a with a different analogy that I think applies to us spiritually, uh, because it, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, our bodies and the the spiritual path of our bodies is connected to the earth. Uh, Paul talks about in the book of Romans that the earth groans for the redemption of our bodies. The, the fate of the earth and the fate of our bodies are related because we come from earth. And, and maybe one of these days I'll dig into that principle a little more, that thought a little more. But for now, I'm not I just just know that the fate of our bodies and the fate of the earth are connected um, in a in a in a symbolic and truthfully in a, in a spiritual way. Um, so, curses the ground for our sake because of what we did and our connection to the ground. And, and so curses the ground and we're going to, we're going to dig and it's going to only now, listen, he said, he said in Genesis chapter three, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the herb of the field. He, I, I, I hate to be splitting hairs here, but it seems like, it sounds like that, what he's saying is, Adam, when you plant, it's only going to produce thorns and thistles. It says you shall eat of the herb of the field. Well, you don't have to, uh, particularly back then, you don't have to plant in order to go out and get the herb of the field. It probably grew wild. You know, you're talking very few people on the face of the planet, right? Uh, you know, we're talking the beginning of man. Very few people on the face of the planet. It would not have been a, uh, it's not a hard stretch of the imagination to think that Adam just went out and forested and, and uh, you know, what he needed out in the wild. He didn't have to plant a garden. Um, now, he did, or he tried to, but when he did, the scripture says, God said, when you plant, when you 
put something in the ground, it's only going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Now, that challenges the way I've always thought about it. The way I've always heard it and the way I've always thought about it was if I plant collard greens or if I plant, you know, whatever, potatoes, that the potatoes or the collard greens would grow, but along with that would be thorns and thistles. That's not what God said. Go back and read it. Thorns and thistles, it shall produce for you. The idea is that the ground would only produce thorns and thistles, and that changes everything. And, I, and I'll explain why, or I can, and, and maybe that changes the way you think about it. Um, so we've got the ground is cursed. It only produces thorns or thistles. And, uh, and so Adam has to deal with that. So he goes out, and he's really no better, if you think about it, he's no better than a wild animal that just walks around and eats the grass or eats, you know, eats plants or whatever. They get it as they're out in the wild. Adam pretty much had to do the same as, as the way I read it. But now I want you to get to Genesis chapter 8. And I want to bring this about in, in, in something I've never seen before. Genesis chapter 8, verse. let's start with verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is only evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. That verse, I've got 20 minutes left, and I don't know that I can finish this. There is so much in there. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. He said, listen to what he said. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. So he's talking about he cursed it. So it's talking about he cursed it the first time in Genesis chapter three. Well, somewhere in there, if God were to curse it again, then somewhere between Genesis chapter three and Genesis chapter eight, it seems like, you know, again, this is so revolutionary to me. I'm still kind of processing this, but it seems like that somewhere between Genesis chapter three and Genesis chapter eight, the curse was removed from the ground. Because he said, I will never curse the ground again. So let's let's look at this. Let's look at this. Um, What was the big event that happened between Genesis chapter three, the fall of man, and Genesis chapter eight, when Noah builds the altar and does the sacrifice? There is one huge event. In fact, it's so funny. that I, I I remember when I was in college and history, you know, history classes and those kind of things. And they talk about the myth of the great flood and that every great society, prehistoric society, we're talking Egyptians and Jewish, we're talking Incas and Mayans, and we're talking, you know, indigenous Na- uh, Native Americans in, in America. Every major society or culture, excuse me, prehistoric has a story of a worldwide flood. And, um, and the history professor would say, isn't that just amazing? The power of the oral tradition, how stories would be passed down from one generation to the next, that the story of a worldwide flood is in every major culture. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe there's the story of the worldwide flood in every major culture because a worldwide flood happened. Now, most history professors, you know, write that off as just bunk or garbage. Uh, okay, just bear with me for a second. If 
if I'm in a room by myself and I have five people come into my room and tell me that the walls have been painted outside my office pink, there's a good possibility that the walls outside of my office have been painted pink. And if every major culture, prehistoric culture in the history of the world, I'm getting fired up here, has the story of a worldwide flood, folks, duh, probably a worldwide flood happened. And so uh, I got off on a sidekick there, a little little rabbit trail. But um, I, I just want you to think, you know, let's think about these things. Um, so anyway, so what was the purpose of the flood? What was the purpose of the flood? The purpose of the flood was twofold. You, this is where most preachers, teachers miss it, I believe, was twofold. It was to bring an end to the violence and the wickedness of man. Uh, in fact, um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. Verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. There's another little thing right there. Did the birds of the field or birds of the air and the beasts of the field, did they sin? Did they have violence and all of those things, choice violence? No, it was only man. Yet the, yet the future or the, the, the destiny of the earth and the beast and the birds and all that was all locked into the spiritual condition and the and the and the actions of man upon the face of the earth. And so God said, "I'm going to destroy them all." Uh, this is Genesis chapter six, verse seven. But verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so here's the idea. Uh, the uh, well, let's go back to. Genesis 6, 13, I want to do a little more. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The end of all flesh has come before me. I will destroy them with the earth. And so you get this idea, but Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so here is the thought, uh, is that God was going to bring about a, a kind of uh, uh, symbolically or, or uh, a symbolism of even for us today, the idea of a redemption through a punishment upon man, but there was one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so one just man, in fact, Genesis 6 and 9 says that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Uh, I, I'm going to talk about that sometime soon about walking with God. But anyway, uh, and so you've got the idea that God said, I'm going to wipe out I'm going to wipe out man. I'm going to wipe out beasts. I'm going to wipe out the earth. I'm going to destroy it all, but I'm going to preserve because someone has found grace in my sight. I'm going to preserve. Well, here's the thing is that the idea was that that punishment was unleashed upon all the earth in the flood. Because if you'll recall, there is a verse that says not only that did the Lord open up the heavens, that he also opened up the earth and that the, the water came from above and the water came from below. You find that in Genesis chapter seven. And so the earth went through its own sort of cleansing through the flood. 
because God removed all the violence on the face of the earth. That's what he said I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy man. I'm going to destroy, destroy it all because of the violence and the sin and the evil that is on the face of the planet. I'm going to destroy it all. I'm going to cleanse it. I'm going to purge it. I'm going to wipe it out. But I'm going to start with Noah, the man that found grace in my sight. And so after the flood, after the flood, here's the thing. Then the flood, they come out. Remember, he lets out the dove. and The dove comes back with an olive branch. And so Noah waits a few more days and then he lets down the lets down the uh, door to the altar. He opens the door to the uh, to the ark. Excuse me, and they come out and he sacrifices clean animals. That is Genesis chapter eight. He sacrifices clean animals. Verse twenty of every animal and every bird he offered. And uh, verse twenty one, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. There was a peace made conceptually, there was the idea of peace made between man, the earth, and God. And the earth was purged from its curse. And if I am wrong, please email me, find a way, go to our church website and send me a message or whatever. But look at what I'm saying and see if you disagree with me. The earth was purged the earth was cleansed so to speak from the curse now okay i'm going somewhere just just bear with me um verse 20 verse 21 he said uh, i will never again curse the ground i will never again curse the ground that word is important verse 22 while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer day and night shall not cease and so god pronounces upon the earth What's going to happen after the flood? It's going to be seed time and harvest. It's going to be uh, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. Now, um, so uh, so where does the idea, because I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother had a garden, a pretty good size garden that she kept, you know, for one lady. Uh, uh, she kept a pretty good size garden. Uh, and in the summers, I would go help her. And I remember in the summers, we had to till the ground. We had a tiller, and uh, uh, I'd have to till between the rows of the potatoes and the squash and tomatoes. And you know, all, and I would have to till the ground, and we'd have to go, and we'd have to pull up the weeds and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, so why is that there if the earth is no longer, the ground is no longer under a curse? This is where I want to bring it to the idea of connecting it with us and our lives. Um so I, I want to I, let me bring in another story right quick. We don't have time to go to it. I don't have time to go to it, but I want you to think about this for a second. Remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And it's in a couple of different places in the New Testament and the Gospels. The woman with the issue of blood. The scripture says that she had had uh, she had been uh, had an issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And that she heard Jesus was coming close to her and that she said in her heart, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And so she, she makes her way through the crowd and I'm not going to get into all the reasons why she shouldn't have been there, but she, she forces her way through the crowd and then reaches out and gets the hem of his garment. And the scripture says that Jesus felt virtue, felt power flow through him to that lady and turns around and says, who touched me? And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you know, there's hundreds of people trying to touch you reaching out to you and you want to know who it was that touched you. We can't even, you know, keep them away. 
And he says, no, no, no. I know somebody touched me because I felt virtue leave. And the woman comes and throws herself at his feet, at Jesus' feet, and, and, and tells what was going on. And the Lord says, your faith has made you whole. You go. Okay. So uh, an amazing miracle that I believe happened beyond the shadow of a doubt. Here is my question. Um, what do you think the lady, what went through the lady's mind 28 days later? Think about that for a second. What went through her mind 28 days later when the the natural course of things in a woman's life and a woman's body made its appearance? I, I know that sounds crude, but let me just put it that way. And And she bled again. Because the issue of blood that she had, most Bible scholars believe, was some type of a feminine menstrual type thing. So 28 days later, she has a natural menstrual cycle. I can imagine the first day that she started bleeding. I, I cannot imagine the fear that came through her heart. But here's the thing. She had to deal with it, right? So she had to do what the Jews do. The ladies go to a separate tent. They keep away from everybody for seven days, so forth. Then they have to wash themselves and all. Anyway, um, so uh, just because she was healed, supernatural healing, and I believe that happened, just because she was healed supernaturally, she still had to deal with the things that are that come natural to the flesh. She was healed of an issue where she bled all the time for 12 years and healed supernaturally. And the supernatural healing dealt with the sickness in her body. But she still, after she left, had to deal with the natural things that come with the flesh. Based on that idea, I think we get the same thing that happens here in the ground, and it's the same thing that happens in our body. God's, uh, God redeemed, so to speak. He purged the evil and the violence and everything from the face of the earth. Uh, and so man could then go and plant seeds and he would be able to harvest what he planted, uh, which I don't think Adam had the, the ability to do. They would be able to harvest what they would planted or what they had planted. But in the meantime, they had to tend to the natural things that were now a part of the, 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 um, DNA of the earth, so to speak. Uh, you go outside, you see grass, but you also see weeds. You see grass, but you also see thorns and briars and bristles and 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 uh, you know uh, privet hedge or, or hickory bushes or whatever you want to call them. You see trees, but you also see you also see poison oak or poison ivy that grows up that tree. You also see things like kudzu, which is I, I'm convinced somehow that slipped through the cracks and. God didn't kill Kudzu like he should have with the flood, but that's that's my opinion on that. Uh, but you see those things out there, and you see it all growing as part of the natural cycle of the earth. There are things out there that grow in the ground that are meant to feed animals and feed man, but there are things out there that are 
also grow in the ground that are meant to be a hindrance and a nuisance to man and how we are able to see the things grow that are meant to feed us and feed our families. We cultivate the ground. We tend the ground in order to remove the weeds and remove those things that want to choke out what God has intended to grow in the ground to feed us. But so the idea of growing or planting a seed and growing is part of what God promised in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, but within the DNA of the ground, even though it was purged, so to speak, of the evil and the violence, there was within it those seeds of things that were already part of it before the flood, things like weeds and poison oak and all those kind of things. And that's part of it that's inherent within the DNA, the DNA, so to speak, of the earth, and they won't be purged or done away with, or at least brought back in line with the, the, the story of redemption until Jesus comes back and there's a new earth and a new heaven and a new Jerusalem and all those things. And the principle behind that is the same thing while that we have to do to till the ground and cultivate the ground in order to guard what we plant from the weeds and the thorns and the thistles that are inherent within the earth is the same thing we have to do to our spiritual man and our bodies we have been we have been planted within us within our bodies a spiritual life by the life or by the Holy Spirit putting within us the life of Jesus and that seed gets planted within us so to speak and it and it grows it is destined to grow the Lord said while the earth remains seed time and harvest while you have a body if the seed has been planted if the life of Christ has been planted the intent is it's supposed to grow there is to be a harvest in your life but in order to have the harvest you have to tend and cultivate and get rid of the weeds and the and and the thorns and the thistles that come along with the flesh that we have Paul said in our flesh there is sin in our flesh in the very fact that we have skin and bones and muscles and tendons and ligaments and and joints and 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 bone marrow and blood and all those things because we have that inherent in our dna so to speak is sin and the sin nature and god takes care of the sin nature but there is still inherent within our flesh this sin that just doesn't want to go away and in order to cultivate the life of christ within us or in order to grow the life of Christ within us, we have to tend the ground, so to speak. We have to go through and remove those things, the thorns and thistles, the sin nature, the the, the sinful thoughts, the sinful attitudes, the sinful um, notions that we have in our life and our mind and our heart and our mouth. Dear Lord in heaven, if the body of Christ could learn to put a guard on its mouth and get that part right, the trouble that I have caused in my own life because of my stupid mouth that I don't know when to shut it or when to keep it under control, that I say things I shouldn't say. And and how many times as a pastor, as a pastor, how many times as a pastor have I had to deal with someone opening their mouth and saying something so ungodly and unchristlike and have to deal with it? If we could learn to deal with that, children of God, if we could learn to deal with that, the body of Christ would be so much better. If you could learn to deal with that, your life would be so much better. If you could learn to root out those things in your mind and your heart that come out of your mouth, because the scripture says, 
out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If we could learn to get our flesh and our fleshly desires, the biggest battle, I am convinced, our biggest battle is not against Satan. Our biggest battle is against ourselves. Every day I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I see the enemy staring back at me. And he doesn't have a horn and pitchforks and a red tail. He's got the name Matt Farley. And I battle myself, my own inadequacies, my own sinful thoughts or desires that come natural to this flesh in order for the spirit to grow and to be cultivated within this life. I have to keep root out those things so that it can grow. Man, I could preach on this for an hour. Folks, we are so worried about the devil. And the devil doesn't give a rip about you. Because your biggest, he's already defeated. Yes, he hates you. Yes, he hates you because you've been made in the image of God and he hates everything that is God. He hates you because you've been made in the image of God. But can I tell you, most of the time the devil can just sit right back and let us destroy ourselves. But the way to see a seed time go to a harvest is that we have to, just like in the earth, we have to cultivate that garden and we've got to pull out and Take, take out the weeds and the thorns and the thistles that try to choke out the life of the things that we have planted in the earth. If my if in my grandmother's garden, if I didn't help her pull the weeds and stuff, it would have choked out the, the tomatoes and the squash and things she was trying to grow. It's the same way in us. The seed of the life of Christ has been planted in us. And in order for it to grow and cultivate, we have to take care of tend to the things in our own DNA, our own nature. If we can deal with that, folks, we wouldn't have to worry about Satan. He's already defeated. And the life of Christ that is in us as it grows would blossom in such a way because the scripture says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if we could just learn to get out of our own way and take care of the sinful things that are in our own nature, and allow the life of Christ to grow in us, we would see amazing things happen in our life. I hope this has challenged you. I hope you have learned. If you've got any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. If this is blessing you, share it with someone else. I love you, and I'll talk to you soon.